Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. We hope everybody is enjoying 2020, and uh, we're recording this on Martin Luther King Day, so shout out to one of the greatest Americans of all time. The fight continues. We've got a most interesting guest tonight. Uh, Pat Thomas is an author, musician, and a record producer. He's written some great books. I've got a few of them. One, uh, we had Pat on a, a couple of years ago to talk about his book, Did It? Jerry Rubin, an American Revolutionary. He also wrote a great book with a CD uh, attached to it called Listen Whitey, The Sights and Sounds of Black Power, 1965 through 75. He was a CD a curator on Invitation to Openness, The Jazz and Soul Photography of Les McCann. And he's got a great new book out that we're going to be talking about uh, a lot of the show tonight called Zapped by the God of Absurdity, the Best of Paul Krasner. He uh, wears many hats. He's been a consultant on the PBS documentary The Black Panthers, The Vanguard of the Revolution. We also chatted about him the last time he was here. Uh, he compiled a 3D box set, The Last Words on First Blues, a 3D set uh, featuring the great Allen Ginsberg uh, that was, he worked with the Allen Ginsberg estate out on Omnivore Records. Pat is so cool, he used to refer to Allen Ginsberg as Ginzy. (laughs) (laughs) He's also a uh, reissue record producer. He's overseen uh, records that have been re, uh, re-released by Public Image, uh, Public Image Limited, Rocky Erickson, Sly Stone, and others. He's appeared on the BBC and National Public Radio. And he's also, when he finds the time, he's the drummer and band leader of an instrumental psychedelic jazz band called Mushroom, based in both San Francisco in Los Angeles. We're going to be listening to some of uh, Pat's music with his band Mushroom, but uh, the intro is almost as long as the show is going to be because he's such a talented cat. Pat, thanks for taking time to chat with us tonight. Yeah, just uh, just one little minor correction. Right. I, I didn't I, I didn't actually uh, edit Paul Krasner's book. I What I did do is I got him his book deal with Fanograph Express. Okay. So, but uh, that, just a minor little doodad there. Yeah, well... Paul, it- uh, Paul actually, uh, you know, compiled his own uh, book. Just luckily, before he passed away. Well, you, uh, we didn't have time to get to it. I, I would like to revisit the uh, over two hours of recordings you did with Mr. Krasner uh, a while ago. It's just some incredible stuff. I had the pleasure of seeing Paul in concert. I just moved to Minneapolis. I believe it was nineteen. 78 or 79, he performed his one-man show at a place called the Dudley Riggs Theater. Dudley Riggs predated Second City in terms of being an improvisational comedy troupe. They're still going in downtown Minneapolis, but uh, I believe it was my birthday. My girlfriend took me out to see it. Absolutely blew my mind. The opening act was a young comedian by the name of Louis Anderson. And uh, so it was a a really incredible night. Louis, Louis was great as well. But uh, I was so knocked out by Krasner. I had read his stuff over the years uh, in different magazines, saw a little bit of The Realist, uh, the, the publication he had put out for years. But for uh, the listeners out there in the Wall of Power Radio Hour Land, let's, uh, Pat Thomas, give us a little background on the great Paul Krasner. Well, Paul Krasner... Um what God, where do I start? Uh, Krasner was one of the first people to do political satire, uh, both in cartoon form, although he wasn't a cartoonist himself. He would commission cartoons, but he would write really funny essays uh, starting in the 1950s up until very recently. Uh, perhaps his most provocative, most outrageous piece of work was after uh, the assassination of JFK, he wrote this really twisted piece that was written so well it seemed real. Something about LBJ, you know, sexually assaulting JFK's body in Air Force One, uh, dead body as they're going back to Washington. 
that would that would be one of the more outrageous things he did. But he also came up with the infamous Twinkie defense for Dan White, who murdered uh, Harvey Milk. Right. Uh, it is true that Harvey, uh, Dan White did eat too many Twinkies and was on some sort of sugar rush, which he effectively used to get just a few years in prison. But it was. It was Krasner who coined that phrase, Twinkie Defense. Hmm. Uh, when Patty Hearst was still underground, he, he did a fake interview with her. In other words, he had no communication with her, but he did a Q&A that was so realistic that it was circulated to the media and people thought it was real. Wow. Uh, so he was an ultimate prankster. He inspired and was co-founder of the legendary Yippies with Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin. And he came up with the name, correct? He came up with the name Youth International Party Yippie. Uh, so just a really interesting guy. And uh, he also had um, uh, had a lot of interactions with uh, the great uh, comedian Lenny Bruce. He knew Lenny. Um, I think he uh, he actually. I think edited posthumously Lenny's autobiography, uh, which I'm blanking on the title of, uh, sadly. Right. Well, <laughs> that, that, uh, that wasn't yeah. How to Talk Dirty and Influence People, was it? There we go. That's, that's, that's yeah. what I was looking for. Thank you. Well, then, yeah, I believe I heard at one time I was uh, reading the book Zapped by the God of Absurdity, where he talked about Lenny Bruce. I believe they might have even been roommates for a while, but... Uh, uh, tell us, there's a great part in in this book uh, about how Lenny was, you know, getting followed around by the cops. He had been busted several times. And then he read some of Krasner's writings and he goes, man, you get away with that in print, but I can't get away with that on stage. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know anything more than that uh, to add to that, but that is a great, uh, that is a great story for sure. Well... And then the other, uh, uh, I actually, and I might have told you this in one of our private conversations, but in the early 1980s, Krasner was in town to speak somewhere, and I had heard of just a phenomenal interview with him on Minnesota Public Radio. And uh, I was driving, it was Halloween, and we were doing at a place called the Green Mill, uh, which is a great... uh, uh, Restaurant and bar on 26th in Hennepin back in the day. And so we were loading in. I said, man, I would love to track down Craster and say hello and go to his event. Well, I was carrying my amp in the back door because we were listening to the interview in the van on the way over from our the gig we had the night before. After we picked up our equipment, I walked in the back door and this guy opens the door for me. And it's freaking Paul Krasner. That's funny. <laughs> so I said, Paul, I said, I just heard your interview on Minnesota Public Radio. I was hoping I'd bump into you. And I said, what a coincidence. And he said, coincidence is my religion. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the one thing I got to say about Paul, he was he was really in person, understated and, and egoless. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really I, you know, when I was, I did a... A biography of Jerry Rubin and the Yippies, kind of an oral history of the Yippies. And, uh, you know, I interviewed Krasner on and off for hours um, over a period of several months, uh, years, actually. And, uh, you know, he he rarely put himself uh, in front of the story. You know, he was right. really, uh, just, just a really, uh, you know, cool guy. I don't know what else to say. Well, and, and really, you know, I was listening to, I got about, uh, oh, I don't know, about 30 or 40 minutes into the interview you did with him uh, on my phone before uh, the phone went kaput. But he <laughs> sounded like an incredibly charming guy and funnier than hell. Well, he, he was. He was. He, he was very quick-witted. Um, you know, like I, I, I start the interview off something about, you know, let's talk generally about this or that. And General Petraeus had just been in the news, and he just dropped that name in, like, so <laughs> you know, I mean, he just, uh, yeah, the, hum- the humor was great. In fact, he did, I never saw it, but I did hear some of it on tape. He used to do stand-up comedy uh, for a while, I think, in the 80s and 90s. Well, he um, also was a child prodigy, and at the age of six, as a violinist, he played Carnegie Hall. That's exactly right. And in fact, in Paul's bathroom, 
uh, several times I visited him, um, was the actual article and poster and what have you all framed for that particular concert. And yes, he was like six years old and was a violin genius, played Carnegie Hall. I believe his brother was also equally talented, and Paul decided early on to get out of that lifestyle or what have you and just became, you know, the crazy, wacky guy that we all know. Yeah, and came to love. We've got Pat Thomas on, author, a musician, record producer. We are going to be chatting with him of the whole show tonight in the Wall Power Radio Hour. Right now, to take us to break, we're going to listen to a song by his band Mushroom called Blues for Bobby Seal. Back with Pat for the whole show tonight. source of the Twin Cities Gay Scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ Media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com Native Ritz Radio is proud to announce we've added an extra hour. Yeah, Chushke, one hour goes by too fast. That's right, Uncle Curtis. I'll have extra time to share important information about our secret animals. And report national and native news from all over the country and Canada. This new hour is sponsored by Robbins Kaplan LLP, dedicated to redefining excellence for high-stakes litigation representation in Indian country. Saturdays from 1 to 3 p.m. We are awake. Dad, you're going to force me to read this opening, aren't you? Don't make me start posting on TikTok. My dad is a double threat, both radio and TV, Matt McNeil. I was on C-SPAN. Well, my dad's style is in question, Toyota's isn't. After I get my license, I'd love to be driving a sleek RAV4 hybrid, a Camry hybrid, or a Prius. They're always in style. Rudy Luther Toyota has an incredible selection of great vehicles, many with a hybrid version. See for yourself at Rudy Luther Toyota, 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Hello, humans. This is me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio on Monday mornings from 7 to 8 a.m. This week, I talk about Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail and how his words continue to resonate in 2020. The big interview is with Reverend Dwayne Davis of All God's Children in Minneapolis. And in my C-Block, I talk about the privilege I have as a white-color person and the need to say things that people of color can't say. Ellie 2.0 Radio, engaging in real on AM 950. Come experience Nightingale at 26th and Lindale in Minneapolis for mulled wine and delicious signature dishes from Chef Carrie and her team. Nightingale is perfect for special occasions with extensive wine, beer, and cocktail selections, along with their dedication to great service. Open every day till 2 a.m. with a full menu served until 1 a.m. and two award-winning happy hours daily. Plus, there's a weekend brunch at 10 a.m. Find more at NightingaleMPLS.com. Donald Trump was impeached. So what happens next? Join Professor David Schultz and me, Brett Johnson, at Hamlin University on Wednesday, January 29th at 6 p.m. This will be a free event as we'll talk about the Senate trial, strategy from both Democrats and Republicans, and how it will impact the 2020 elections. We'll also take your questions throughout the night. That's our free impeachment forum with David Schultz and me, Brett Johnson, on Wednesday, January 29th at 6 p.m. at Hamlin University, Anderson Room 305. More details at am950radio.com. All right, welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzler. My guest for the whole show tonight, hipster gets uh, really kicked around and thrown dirt on these days, but uh, because it's so uh, misused, that that term in these modern days. But uh, the cat I'm talking to is a real hipster. His name's Pat Thomas. He uh, just helped the great Paul Krasner uh, 
find a publisher. And uh, the book, the collection is Paul Wright, it's called Zapped by the God of Absurdity. Pat, uh, maybe you can uh, further enlighten us on the story, but I was listening to uh, or, or, uh, an interview with Craftsman last night that he did with Mark Marin a few years ago, and he was talking about when he was six years old, and he's on the stage at Carnegie Hall, and his leg starts to itch. And so he's standing standing on his left leg, itching his left leg with his right leg that he had, of course, lift up to do. And the whole place broke out laughing, and he goes, that's it. That's what I'm interested in, the laughter, not necessarily the classical music. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, that is, that is a great story. Again, I, I don't have much more to add to that other than, you know, this is a guy who was self-aware enough before he was even a teenager to know that he didn't want to be this violin prodigy, that he wanted to engage in making people laugh. And at some point in his life, uh, fairly early on, he becomes extremely politicized and uh, and basically sort of you know fought against the right wing throughout the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. You know, whether he was mocking, you know, LBJ and Nixon or uh, Trump. Mm-hmm. Just really interesting uh, guy. Tell us about uh, The Realist. The Realist was one, might be one of the very first, what I would call, fanzines. You know, the difference between a fanzine and a magazine. A magazine is you know, going to be a little more professionally laid out and, and widely distributed. We all know what a magazine is. Fanzine is, is you know, generally self-published, uh, you know, very raw in its presentation. And The Realist was published, I think it starts in the late 50s and went, you know, on and off for decades. And it was a way for, I mentioned earlier in the show, um, you know, his his crazy uh, essay about LBJ uh, having sex with the corpse of JFK, uh, <laughs> all this kind of thing. This was a way for him to to publish this stuff without any editing. Uh-huh. Um, I believe some of the realist pieces would later, the better ones, the less outrageous ones, would get republished in mainstream publications. But the realist was just a way for him to let it all out. Now, he didn't write everything himself. He had a lot of political cartoonists contribute. In fact, there's another book on fatographics um, that came out about two years ago called The Realist Cartoons, and it's a giant coffee table-sized book that has hundreds of these amazing, provocative political cartoons spanning three or four decades um, in that book. Now, tell us a little bit about uh, Fanographics, because uh, you've worked with them uh, before. They sound like a really interesting and amazing publishing house. Well, most people are aware of Fanographics because they um, they publish cart- they cart- graphic novels and cartoons. They've done a lot of work. Uh, Peter Bagg, legendary cartoonist who had a series of cartoons called Hate. They, they published a lot of Robert Crumb. They published complete Charles Schultz, Snoopy, Peanuts, and hardcover. So I'm kind of the odd man out over there where I do my wacky historical political books about the Yippies, the Black Panthers, uh, etc. But they're, you know, they're probably one of the more successful independent publishing houses still going. Uh, you know, I think they've, I think they've been around for about 35, 40 years at this point. Pat, uh, what, uh, can I ask you how old you are? I'm 55. Yeah, that's what I'm guessing. You're you're uh, uh, younger than than I am, but I'm really uh, always been intrigued. I can't even remember how you and I got on each other's radars, but uh, we're, we're Facebook buddies, uh, we're Twitter uh, uh, compadres, and uh, now we've gotten to be you know friends, although we've never met in person. Where, yeah. When did you become politically aware? Well. I, you know, obviously I'm a little, just a little too young to have experienced, really experienced firsthand things like the Black Panthers and the Yippies and, and, you know, Allen Ginsberg at the height of his popularity. But I had an older brother, almost a decade older, and in 1973, I would be about nine, he brings a copy of Abby Hoffman's Steal This Book right. into our house. Which I and hope he stole. Yeah, and basically, it, 
you know, I was a little too too young to appreciate maybe the political angle, but it was the it was the humor mm-hmm. that, that got me right. Just I just really, even as a nine year old, I connected with the outrageous humor, and I just sort of became. Um, around that time sort of a lifelong devotee of the counterculture you know uh, by the time I was 15 16 I was reading Ginsburg and Kerouac and that type of thing um, I eventually moved to the San Francisco Bay Area started exploring the history of the Black Panthers I, I now work for the Ginsburg estate and done several projects with them so I've always just been enamored with that you know late 60s early 70s outrageous thing and of course you know now that we're in our current political state um you know these types of radicals whether they're political or artistic are you know sort of needed more than ever right um you know well you know in the uh in the book zapped by the god of absurdity the best of paul krasner the intro forward is by uh great uh satirist andy borowitz and he basically says, he says, we're almost living in an age that's beyond satire. Yeah, true. You true. Know, um, throughout the book, uh, Paul writes about and talks about uh, his interactions with other comedians, but he was really kind of an influence on George Carlin, uh, Robin Williams, uh, Louis Black. Uh, do you, in in your, um, as you got to know Paul, got to study about Paul Krasner, did you have a chance to talk to some of these other comedians that he influenced? Yeah, no, because, you know, to, to be clear, I, I've never written about Krasner in detail except for Krasner's involvement in the Yippies, you know, the 1968 Chicago uh, riots at uh, the Chicago Democratic Convention. So, so my my knowledge of Krasner and my uh, whatever g- goes really into his connection to Abby Hoffman and Jerry okay. Rubin. So, you know, again, as I stated earlier in the show, I did not edit P- Paul Krasner's current best of uh, book of essays and articles. I'm just I've just been you know sort of a middleman uh, t- to getting his work published in, in recent years. What, uh, Pat, I'm trying to remember, besides the pieces I'd see uh, whenever I could see The Realist, and I'm not sure if I've even seen an actual copy of that, where would I have read Krasner over the years? Like Crawdaddy, Rolling Stone? Crawdaddy, Rolling Stone, uh, Mother Jones, uh, probably... The Nation, I believe. Right, okay. uh, c- Counterpunch Online. Um, you know, occasional New York Times, L.A. Times pieces. Playboy um, Magazine, I believe. Yeah, oh, yeah, right. Thank you. Yeah. Because um, I just bought that for the articles. Yeah, well, exactly. exactly. <laughs> We've got In fact, I would, Go yeah. ahead. Oh, I said I always rip the photos out as I was reading because <laughs> I don't want to get distracted. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Pat Thomas on. Stay tuned to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. We'll be right back. Hey, remember that one? That was big in the 60s, back when gas was like 30 cents a gallon, a house 22 grand, cigarettes a quarter a pack. But the packs came with a warning from the U.S. Surgeon General. Cigarette smoking causes lung cancer. Hey, it proved to be right. Music's changed, and so have prices. Gas is almost three bucks a gallon. A decent house costs a quarter of a million, and a pack of cigarettes is about five bucks. But now, there's another cancer warning from the U.S. Surgeon General. Radon causes lung cancer. And radon can cause lung cancer whether you smoke or not. Radon is an invisible, odorless gas that seeps into your home from underground. The only way to know if you have high levels of radon in your home is to have your home tested. The U.S. Surgeon General recommends it. Radon problems can be fixed. To learn more, call 1-800-SOS-RADON, 1-800-SOS-RADON, or click on epa.gov slash radon from this station and the U.S. EPA. This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents. Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Medicare. 
Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment. Join us for New Beginnings, Saturday mornings at 11, brought to you in part by Vision Loss Resources. Located just north of 50th in France, the Great Wall Restaurant has provided a delicious taste of authentic Chinese cuisine since 1981. Specializing in Sichuan and Peking dishes, they offer one of the most extensive menus in the Twin Cities. Favorites include hot and sour soup, pan-fried dumplings, and mushu pork with homemade Chinese pancakes. Stop by their Edina location or call for takeout at 952-927-4439. See the full menu at greatwallrestaurant.us. Native Ritz Radio is proud to announce we've added an extra hour. Yeah, Chushke, one hour goes by too fast. That's right, Uncle Curtis. I'll have extra time to share important information about our secret animals. And report national and native news from all over the country and Canada. This new hour is sponsored by Robbins Kaplan LLP, dedicated to redefining excellence for high-stakes litigation representation in Indian country. Saturdays from 1 to 3 p.m. We are awake. Hi, I'm Frank Brown, owner of the only minority-owned union print shop in Minnesota. Do you work with political campaigns? Yes, we have years of experience helping campaigns. Do you print buttons for political campaigns? Yes, we print everything. Do you print rally signs? Yes, we print everything. Do you print t-shirts? Yes, we print everything. Choose the only minority-owned union print shop in Minnesota for all your political campaign needs. Learn more at mpuptown.com. Minuteman Press Uptown. We print everything. With your AM950 weather, I'm Sam Turnberg. Tonight's going to be cloudy with a low around 18. Tomorrow's cloudy with a high near 29. Monday, still cloudy with a high near 32. Tuesday, more clouds with a high near 29. And Wednesday, we still have those clouds with a high near 31. The Electric Fetus wants your used music. The used music buying bonanza is going on now at the Electric Fetus. Fill your vinyl, CDs, and DVDs from now through January 26th and receive an extra 50% based on the quote if you choose store credit at 2000 South 4th Avenue. More at electricfetus.com. We just heard a cut called Pink Island by the band Mushroom. We have the band leader and drummer on the phone who's also an author and uh, collector and all-around cool cat. Pat, uh, tell us about the track we just heard, your band Mushroom, and then uh, we're going to talk more about Pat Thomas as a musician in this segment. the, uh, The band Mushroom, I started it about 20. 25 years ago it's always been sort of a floating collective of uh well-known some well-known musicians in la and or san francisco we've had uh, david Immergluck who plays with the counting crows and monks of doom victor krumenacher of camper van beethoven um and it's always been completely almost completely instrumental kind of free form kind of a little jazzy, a little psychedelic. Anyway, Pink Island, to really nerd out here with record collectors, <laughs> Island Records started in the early 60s by Chris Blackwell in England, had Fairport Convention, Sandy Denny, Nick Drake, John Martin, King Crimson, um, you know, these types of bands. And if you're a super nerdy record collector... You're looking for the first pressings of those records. They came over. They came out here in America, usually on other labels like A and M and Atlantic. Because the labels were pink. They were pink. Yeah, pink I Island. get it. I get it. Pink Island. So that song is just sort of a pastoral, baroque, folky, instrumental tribute to that era. Hence the title. Pink Island. So just a super nerdy, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Well, I get it because I have every record Nick Drake and John Martin ever put out. Uh, John Martin is my personal Jesus. Right. Um, Let's talk about the young Pat Thomas. When did you start getting into music and start playing? I grew up around Rochester and Buffalo, New York. Okay. 
uh, early 70s, and I saw, uh, I was in like fourth, fifth grade, and the junior high school jazz band came over to our school to do a performance. I remember seeing the drummer, and I thought, that's what I want to do. So I spent one or two years mucking around with just a snare drum, which I found extremely boring. Mm-hmm. Then I got to junior high, and luckily, my junior high school at that point, this is about 1975 or something, had a, a younger, hipper music teacher who did not teach snare drum or orchestra drums. He taught drum set from a you know jazz and rock point of view. Mm-hmm. And so by the seventh grade, I had a, literally a garage band. Uh, we weren't playing garage band songs. Obviously, we didn't sound like the Blues Magoos or the Shadows of Night. We were doing right. a lot of Leonard Skinner and Bad Company and... <laughs> best of the mid-70s, know, baby. Best of the mid-70s, baby. <laughs> and I, I really, you know, those hours in the garage really taught me how to jam, I guess, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word. Sure. Because I remember there were always drummers technically better than me in school. And many of them had no chance to play in bands. They would play along to records. And so their their playing was very stiff. It didn't really breathe because, you know, when you play along to a record, you, you do get really good time, like a metronome. But when you're in a, most rock bands, very few rock bands are playing like a metronome unless you're in Steely Dan. Right. 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 So these guys would, let's say, sit in with my band, you know, when we were all kind of loosey-goosey musicians, and they, they couldn't quite handle the fact that the bass player and the guitar player were speeding up and slowing down. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, just a little kind of, again, a little geeky nuance here for everybody. You know, I, I have to ask you, because one of my favorite rock and roll drummers of all time is Keith Moon. And when I bring this up, and I've I had the fortune to play with some, some of the best drummers uh, in Minneapolis, so many drummers that I talked to about Keith Moon don't like Keith Moon. I'm going, man, there's nobody like Mooney, you know? What do you think about Keith Moon and The Who? Well, I, The Who were, you know, besides my brother bringing home Abby Hoffman steal this book, in 1971-72, he also brought home Who's Next. Right. And that became one of my all-time favorite albums. I love the the wild abandonment of Keith Moon. I, I think there's there's two schools of thought in drumming. Well, there's many schools, but to make that one dividing line is people who play really, really precise, like the great Neil Peart of Rush, who just passed away, right. or Bill Bruford from you know Yes and King Crimson. And then there's this other school of the totally crazy. And to me, you know, I, I wanted to be somewhere between Bill Bruford and and Keith Moon. And I, th- I think the guy who did that the best is probably John Bonham of Led Zeppelin. Hmm, right? Okay. He's, he's got all the finesse of a Bill Bruford or a Neil Peart, but he's got some of that wild, crazy SHIT of Keith Moon. But right. yeah, I, I love, I love, I love Moon. He's playing, but I, yeah, there's a lot of drummers and, and frankly, regular musicians who just can't get down with it. You know? Yeah. Now, when you, you were in San Francisco. What years? That was a really uh, uh, interesting time to be out there. Tell us what years it was and what exactly was going on in San Francisco in the music scene. Well, I got there uh, on a roughly Halloween of 1987, and I was there until 2009. Wow. And most people, because San Francisco, like many American cities, has become overrun with super expensive apartments and overpaid uh, dot-com jobs. When I got to San Francisco in 87, you could rent an entire giant Victorian house for about a 1000 bucks a month. Wow. And so there'd be, you know, let's say four or five guys in there, and we'd each pay about $200 a month. And so you didn't have to go out and get a full-time job, mm-hmm. right? You, you could work part-time. As long as you had your 200 bucks. you were good. Right. And there was a real cool sort of singer-songwriter scene happening at that point, kind of indie rock singer-songwriter, you know, Mark Eitzel, mm-hmm. who had a band called American Music Club, a guy named J.C. Hopkins, who later contributed songs to the first Nora Jones album, um, a woman named Barbara Manning, who later signed a Matador. 
And I started this label called Heyday Records, and I started putting out some of these local singer-songwriters. And I also really got plugged in, although I never visited them in L.A., they always came up to me. I was really enamored with this scene called the Paisley Underground right. that happened a few years earlier. That was bands like the Dream Syndicate, the Rain Parade, Long Riders, Green on Red. And as those bands broke up, many of those guys made solo albums on my Heyday label. Hmm. Uh, Chris Kakavis, Jack Waterson, um, Stephen Roback from the Rain Parade. And so, you know, it was this... I always likened that label. I'm, I'm fantasized a little bit, but to me, I felt like it was. I was trying to be sort of like when Jack Holtzman had Electra Records sure. in the '60s, where he was having everything from Fred Neal to the Doors, right to know. Colonel Rand Glover. Yes, exactly. Local local legends uh, of yours. Mm -hmm. um, so I got into that, and once uh, <laughs> once I realized that you know it was really hard to sell those records in the United States, I actually did much better. I moved to Germany in the early '90s. Really and released those same artists through a label called Normal or Normal. Okay. And so we went from selling, let's say, a thousand copies in America to more like 5,000 in Europe. Wow. Which, which was a nice little leap. Right. And then by the end of the 90s... Sehr gut. Yes. By the end of the 90s, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well said. Nice, you know, that scene, as all scenes do, fell apart. Sure. And for the last 20 years, I've really been doing reissues. Uh-huh. Um, as we mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast, I worked with everyone from Johnny Rotten, Johnny Lydon of Public Image Limited, to the estate of Judy Sill and the estate of Tim Buckley. Um, and I just find recordings from 60s, 70s, 80s that need to come out on CD or vinyl, depending on the case may be. Right. And that's that's really kind of how I pay the rent. Not really releasing them, them myself, but finding the right label who wants to put them out writing liner notes, researching vintage photos, looking for unreleased recordings like bonus tracks, that kind of thing. Before I forget, Pat Thomas, uh, you've had such a wild and varied career, and I know a lot of my listeners are, are going to be interested in most of it, if not all of it. How can they, do you have a website? I, I don't. The best place to find me is on Facebook, and luckily, I have a very easy-to-find Facebook page. It's facebook.com, Thomas, pat.thomas.18. Okay, say that one more time. So it's facebook.com slash pat.thomas.18. Okay. The other way to do it is if they're friends of Paul Metza. <laughs> yeah, that's they, right. They go, they go to you, and then they go from, they can look at your friends list. That's that's a great way to do it. And uh, just go to paulmetz.com. I've got a submission form there, and I'll put you in touch with my a man who whose uh, work I really enjoy. I love his personality, his politics, and his vibe. Pat Thomas, who I've never met in person, although I did hang out with a, a guy that uh, a total modern beatnik, uh, your buddy John Cruth, uh, just about a month ago in New York City. Cruz is a member of Mushroom. He play he he spends really? half his time in New York and half his time in LA. He's 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 played at least eight of the last ten Mushroom shows over the last three years. He's completely out of his mind in a beautiful way. And uh, and you know I want to I, I want to just a little word from our sponsor. Yeah, I have been listening for the last few days to Whistling Past the Graveyard, mm. a nineteen what ninety two al album. By our host Paul Metza, and uh, it's it's got uh, Gary Talon, who's the bass player of Springsteen, and some other interesting folks. And I really love, uh, you know, the political angle. This really wacky song about Jack Ruby. We were talking earlier about JFK. Um, there's just this great sort of Americana, uh, you know. I hate to use the word Springsteen-esque, but I mean yeah. it in the best possible way. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, Paul, listeners, Paul, when I first met Paul, quote-unquote, he, he literally FedExed me about 25 <laughs> or 30 albums. God bless him. And it was Bumps, so... articles, yeah. yeah. So overwhelming that I just didn't know where to start. And and here it is it, three years later. Right. And Paul said, well, dude, why don't you start with Whistling Past the Graveyard? And, and now I finally am. 
and I'm I'm a better man for it. <laughs> Thanks, Pat. We'll talk more about that uh, offline. Produced by the great Bucky Baxter, who was playing with Bob Dylan at the time. And, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, probably my most radio-ready produced record. But thanks for that. We've got Pat Thomas on. Uh, one more set on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. We will be right back. The number one source of the Twin Cities gay scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ Media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. I'm Richard R.J. Eskow, and this week on The Zero Hour, we'll be discussing political corruption, Wall Street shenanigans, our corporate overlords, digital dystopia, and maybe throw in a surprise or two as well. All this and more on The Zero Hour every Sunday night from 9 until midnight on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Vacuum cleaners. You buy them, you break them, and then you throw them away, right? Well, if you're ready to break out of that vicious cycle, we have the answer. Never heard of A1 Vacuum? They've been around forever, offering better alternatives. So if you're ready to stop filling the landfill, give A1 Vacuum a shot. Located in Roseville and ready to show you something better. Find them at a-1vacuum.com or call 651-222-6316. Better yet, drop by. Did you realize that Drink in the Style is available on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much every other podcast platform out there? You can listen to past episodes of Drink in the Style or maybe download our really cool martini glass graphic or just listen to your favorite episode again and again. But if you do, I need to ask you for a quick favor. Hop online and give us a five-star rating. It helps others find the show and also boosts my fragile ego. Drink in the Style. It's a great way to kill Sundays or really anytime at all. This President's Day weekend, bring your family to the Osprey Wilds Environmental Learning Center, formerly known as the Audubon Center of the Northwoods, on Grindstone Lake in Sandstone. The all-inclusive family weekend has locally sourced meals and winter activities like ice climbing, wildlife programming, skiing, and much more. Reserve your spot at ospreywilds.org or call 320-245-2648. Osprey Wilds, experience your environment. I'm Nick Slavic, proprietor of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. I've been a craftsman for more than 25 years. My company has been awarded more than five national awards for craftsmanship. You won't find somebody who loves their job more than me. I've devoted my life to my family, my craft, my business, and to the people who trust me with their projects. And I'm happier for doing it. Visit N-I-C-K-S-L-A-V-I-K.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metz, and my guest uh, for the whole show tonight, Pat Thomas. We just listened to the great Gil Scott Heron, the late great, uh, with a song, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, that uh, is part of the CD collection that went along with Pat's book, Listen Whitey. Tell us a little bit about that book, Pat, and uh, and uh, why you put on a compilation CD along with it. Okay. Uh there's been many, many books about the Black Panther Party and about the Black Power Movement in general of the 60s and 70s, and those books have always obviously focused on the social, political, cultural elements of the Black Power Movement. But nobody had ever really addressed the music that that movement inspired and how the music inspired them. And so I spent five years in Oakland, California. I got to know many 
former Black Panthers. Na- name a few. Uh, David Hilliard, who was chief of staff of the Panthers during their late 60s heyday. Elaine Brown, who was the only female Panther to actually run the entire party after Huey Newton was exiled to Cuba. Uh, And I began to realize that, for example, Bob Dylan was a massive influence on the Panthers. Hmm. They used to listen to Dylan's Highway 61 album while putting together the Panther newspaper. Um... You know, I've, you know, the Panthers had their own band called the Lumpen. Wow, they were I've never sort of like heard the, of that. They they put out only one seven inch single that was distributed just through the party itself, and um, they were kind of like the Temptations, except with very political uh, lyrics. Wow. Uh, so anyway, I began to realize that there were hundreds of recordings, uh, albums, seven inch singles that, you know, some were privately released. Uh, Motown, many people don't know this, had a subsidiary label called Black Forum Hmm. in the late 60s that put out political albums uh, after the assassination of Martin Luther King, uh, which happened, you know, today we're celebrating Martin Luther King Day. Uh, Barry Gordy instructed some of his younger staff members, and they started putting out these very radical albums under the Black Forum label. Uh, anyway, this all came together in a book published by Phanographic Books called Listen Whitey, The Sounds of Black Power in 1965 to 1975, and then sold separately through Light in the Attic Records was a LP and CD that featured some of the more provocative and some of the more harder to find songs that I discussed in the book. Um, and as a white dude growing up in the middle of very white Western New York, I was extremely honored in 2016 when the Black Panthers invited me to be one of the few honkies to speak at their 50th anniversary wow. celebrations in Oakland. Congratulations, my man. So, yeah, so that was a real, you know, that was more validating than getting, let's say, reviewed in the New York Times. Right. No <laughs> doubt. Pat yeah. Thomas, you, I, I, I really have to congratulate you. You, you... We're kind of similar soul brothers in the way we get a lot of the same interests musically and politically and historically. Uh, but you've really kind of put your nose to the grindstone and done it on whatever dollars you can make back then and these days to keep the wolf away from the door. But keep creating great work and great art. And right now you are going back to school to get a degree, correct? That's right. I... I when my books have come out on the Panthers and on the Yippies, I've been invited to speak uh, in college classrooms, but but usually only for a day or two because I didn't have a master's degree. So I'm going back and getting my MFA in nonfiction writing. And normally you would get a degree like that to teach writing. I really am getting the master's so the community colleges will let me come in, hopefully, and teach a semester-long class on some of these 60s radicals. Uh, but I needed some kind of master's degree, you know, to give me those teaching credentials. What, uh, you know, reading the the Paul Craston book, Zapped by the God of Absurdity, and knowing what I know about uh, coming of age in the, the 60s and 70s and witnessing the assassinations of JFK and RFK and Martin Luther King, uh, you name it, when I became politically aware what do you feel, you know, when I was in my teens and then 20s and 30s, what do you feel about the average political awareness of a millennial these days? Does it give you hope or does it make you want to just run into a dark room and drink whiskey? Well, you know, I mean, I'm not sure how many millennials are voting. Right. Right. I mean, I, I think most millennials... Well, I don't want to say most. Most educated millennials are probably anti-Trump. Um, there's certainly, unfortunately, a young white supremacist movement making its way across America, which is another set of millennials. Right. Um, you know, people often ask me, you know, what's the difference between the 60s and now, and why aren't young people more politicized? You know, the 60s was the draft. Right, right, exactly. 
So, so you know, no matter what crazy stuff the U.S. government does, or even if we're in various wars, it's an all-volunteer army. And so young people are not, they're not really affected. Exactly. Okay. If you thought you were actually going to get drafted and die, you would get a lot more inspired to try to get Trump out of office yeah. or change some of our other political leaders and things. And so that is the difference. The number one thing is the draft, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, now and now you can join the army and go fight for Saudi Arabia. Exactly. <laughs> We've had uh, I've had a most uh, really a great time, Pat Thomas. Uh, I imagine several of your, the titles of your books can be found on Amazon. If people out there in the Wall of Power, Radio Wall of Land, want to uh, track down Pat's work, feel free to go to paulmetza.com, shoot me, shoot me a submission, and uh, we, will, uh, we will let you know what's going on in the world of Pat Thomas. Pat, thank you so much for your time today. And, thank you. Uh, I look forward to meeting you in person. Uh, soon, sooner than later, and yep. uh, uh, just keep up the great work and uh, happy 2020. Uh, keep hope alive. Okay, man. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show was produced by Paul Metz, uh, engineered by the great Brett Johnson in the basement of the AM 950 Studios in Eden Prairie, which is neither Eden nor Prairie. We'd like to thank our guest, author, musician, and cool cat, Pat Thomas. You can follow me at paulmetza.com. If you are a business or have an event coming up that you would like to let people know about, we have some really great advertising rates on the Wall of Power Radio Hour, and we go out to a lot of cool people. Every Thursday night, Paul Metz and Sonny Earl at Shaw's on 16th and University in northeast Minneapolis from 5 to 7.30. And I will be playing at the St. Paul Winter Carnival February 1st at 6 o'clock outdoors in Rice Park. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. Time before the fire.